Amen. Yeah, yeah. So good. Sometimes I'm like, I don't even know if I need to preach. Like, let's just go to our city now. Oh, man, so good. Uh, if you're just hopping in with us, last week we kicked off a new series called Big Church. And what this is, this isn't about like three steps to make a church populated with people. It's about the early church. About, about this gathering of people who are so committed to the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that they went out and they literally changed the world. And, and so we're, we're studying through that. And as we jump into the next part, kind of as I start off, I, I was reminded of just something that I walked through with, with seeing our church get started off. And we are a brand new church. If you're just in here and don't realize this, we are approaching our one-year anniversary, which is going to be the first Sunday of October. And we're so pumped about um, but the, the year before we launched, I was doing something that I hated doing. Uh, it was important. It was imperative to launching a church. I was raising money. And, and I don't, you know, I don't like asking people for money. I don't like asking people for anything, really. Like, I, I'm a, like, figure it out on your own type of guy. But I had to spend this year just asking, asking, raising the funds that are necessary to launch a church. And I love talking about the vision for the church, of what we're going to do, and, and then you, they ask at the end, that's where I was just like, okay, and here we go. They, they, they knew this was coming, it's going to be okay, and I'd ask. And so some of those meetings went horribly wrong, some of them went great. There, there was this one time where I was finishing talking about the vision of the church and what we would do in five years and ten years, and, and just the, the amazing work that I believed God was going to do. And I made a big ask. I was like, I should, I should make a big ask. And I asked this person for a couple thousand dollars. And, and I didn't even finish the sentence, and he's like, yes. And I'm like, man, I just killed it. Like, I, it, the vision was compelling, and the delivery was great. And then I found out the person I was talking with didn't just have thousands. Like, he had millions. That, like, I just asked him for pocket change. And he didn't hesitate because he found that amount, like, in the seat cushion of his couch. And he just, like, tossed it to me. And I was like, oh, man, like, I way under-asked in this circumstance. And, and, and it's, a, it's a funny thing. And it was a funny learning experience for me as a leader of an organization. Whenever you're leading an organization, you're going to be asking for funds. Because if you have vi vision to move something forward, it takes funds to move it forward. But one of the things that I, I learned is, you know, Sometimes we ask way too small. And when I look at, at the way that our culture generally, gen, generally prays, we pray way too small. And, and we ask God for, for small things. We ask God for things that like a bottle of NyQuil can fix. Like, God, would you give me a good night's rest? And it's like there's other solutions. Like we're not, we're not exhausting God's cosmic power to change our life by asking him, like, would you give me a safe trip to work today. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying don't pray, pray those prayers. That's not what this is about, and I don't want you to hear that from me. But what I want to challenge is I want, I want to add to the way that we pray. I don't want you to step back, but I want us to look at what was happening in the life of the early church and the way that they prayed as they walked through challenging circumstances. And I want us to look at our challenges, and I want us to, to add to the way that we pray. And so we're going to see that before we dive into chapter 4 that we're going to really look at, I'm going to kind of just roll back for people who are just hopping into the story. At the beginning of Acts, Jesus gave this command to, to go to Jerusalem, their city, to Judea, kind of their, their region, Samaria, a place they really don't like to go, and to the ends of the earth. But don't do anything until I send my spirit. And, and then the day, the day of Pentecost, as it's known in Christendom, happened in Acts 2, where the, the disciples were all praying together in this upper room. And they had this amazing experience where, where God gave them the Holy Spirit. And, and, and it moved and, and it changed them. And they, they went down 
and they begin to preach. And just a, a quick side note, this is just bonus preaching for you. I, I, I can't help myself. Uh, in the Pentecost experience, this is an amazing intimate time of prayer where they had the spiritual experience and it's something that we still crave. In fact, there's churches that are called like the upper room church in reference to the day of Pentecost. And we crave this like spiritual experience with God. But I want to tell you that the experience of Pentecost, it would have been wasted if they didn't go downstairs to the street level. If they had this amazing interaction with God in personal prayer with the believers that they had walked through these trying, difficult times with. I mean, the disciples, they were there. They got scared when Jesus got taken and they all ran from the faith. And then they came back together and they got to see the resurrected Christ. They had amazing experiences together. And they had this great time of prayer. But if they didn't leave the upper room, we wouldn't be talking about them today. Because the whole point of that Pentecost experience wasn't to give them spiritual entertainment. It was to prepare them for spiritual warfare, to go out to the streets and make a difference in their city. And so in the same way, if we come here and we have mind-blowingly good worship and, and, and a message that connects with us, but it never leaves this room, it becomes spiritual entertainment. And that's not what we're called to. And that's not what I, as your pastor, want for you or for your family. I, I, I want to see... You take something from this place and apply it to your life and see God begin to show up. And that's especially on this topic of prayer. And we just taught about prayer a couple weeks ago. And man, I, if I must say, it was a pretty killer message because there's this, this whole concept of not just praying once, but being in continual prayer with God. That just as you walk through your day, you talk to him because as you do that, you acknowledge his presence, his reality, and it changes the way that you encounter your challenges. It's an important piece to the to, to the concept of prayer, that, that we are continually talking with God. But, but the way that we talk to Him, it, it, it's important too. And so we see the, the disciples, they had this upper room experience, amazing, you know, spirit fell and motivated them, and they went down the stairs, they went out to the street, and in Acts 2.14, it's one of the great summaries of who Peter, the apostle Peter was as a person. 2.14, it says, and Peter stepped forward. And there's that moment, and this was when he stepped forward and preached the first sermon of the early church, where he stepped forward, and 3,000 people that day become, became followers of Christ. It was a monumental moment, and I love it because Peter, when he stepped forward, he's someone who, man, he is just a hot mess. Like, that's the best way to describe the Apostle Peter. Like, he, he does a great thing, he, he does a terrible thing. He, he, he's Faithful, he's unfaithful. And it's a great example for me that I connect with because it's just the winning, losing, winning, losing. But Peter stepped forward. And in getting into the topic of chapter four of what we see happening in the church, I just want to pause there real quickly too because I think that there's a voice inside of our head that says, you know what? I'll start to do this thing that I feel like God's asking me to do. I'll start to take this step once I get a few more areas of my life cleaned up. Once I get this sin handled, once I know, once I have a little bit more head knowledge of scripture, and there's this thing that says, okay, I'm just not going to step forward yet. I'm going to tell you, Peter stepped forward in the hot mess that he was in many circumstances, and we don't wait till we fix ourselves. We, we are obedient in the thing that God calls us to now, and as we do that, we see the, the hand of God at work in our life fixing our shortcomings, and that, that's the way that it works out, and so for us, as we talk about praying and living for God. I just want to start with a, you don't wait till you get it together before you start doing these things that God asks you to do. And, and so, just beginning to look at the way that we pray. Think about the way that you pray, and a, a, as you do think about it, I'll, I, I already know how you pray, because you're probably like the rest of us. We all kind of pray in the same general three prayers, and it's, it's something like, you know, keep me healthy, God. 
for my family and my friends, the people that I love, and like the two to three sick people that I know. And, and our prayers are limited to like those three things, like just like God, keep me healthy, um, be, be with my family, keep everybody safe, and these two to three sick people that I know, and, and we pray for them. And we, we just kind of stay small, I guess, in the way that we pray. And, and that's not a bad thing, and it's good to pray with us, but I just want to say that if our prayer is narrowed down to just the people that we know and love, we're, we're selling ourselves short on what we can see God do in our life, and we're also not having the ministry that I believe that God has called us to. But, but beyond that, I believe that it's like you start to go down this path where as you have weeks and months and years that are just pray for me, I just pray for me, I just pray for my close people, I just pray for me, it begins to shape our view of our Christianity and who's important. And, and the way that we pray, it actually begins to, to cause us to fall away from the mission of Christ. And this isn't just true for you. This is true for a gathering of Christians. This is true for a church. If a church, in the way that they pray, they're only concerned about their members, if they're only concerned about their budget, if they're only concerned about the goings-on that they have and not what's happening in their city, it's not just unhealthy, but I'm going to say it, it leads to the death of many churches. And I'm going to say it like this, and I apologize, it's kind of corny, but I want you to know I spent time thinking of these things, so I rhyme them, and I use the same letters sometimes. But the, the, the small way that... The small way you pray can cause you to stray. And, and it's just this truth that when I am only thinking and praying and asking God to work in my life, that it takes me from having this mindset that is the Luke 19.10 mindset that we talk about all the time here, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. That was Jesus' mission. But when our prayers don't reflect that heartbeat and it just reflects what's going on in my own life, then it slowly moves us further and further from the heart of God. It slowly moves us from the scriptural commands to go to our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And, and you see how it misaligns with where God wants you and your family to be headed. And so when we, when we just stay in this small area of prayer, I'm going to say it's, it's negative to our faith. And I'm not asking you to not pray for those things, but I'm saying there's some things that we can learn for, from this text we're going to look at. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Acts, chapter 4, and we're going to go through a pretty, some pretty big pieces of Scripture in this chapter. So we'll put the words on the screen and you can follow along. And, and where we're picking up, Peter has just preached in the temple. And he has just healed a man at the gate called Beautiful. He walked up and, and the beggar was asking to receive something. And he said, silver or gold I have not, but what I have I give freely. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand and walk. And, and, and he stood up and he was healed. And it was an amazing, amazing thing. But, but it happened on the wrong day. And so people started getting upset. And, and he, he went in and he began preaching in the temple that day. And in addition to the 3,000 who had been saved before, 2,000 more people came to Christ because of that. And the, the temple authorities, they saw this and they arrested him. And Peter and John spent the night in jail. And remember, this is two months after Jesus was arrested and put to death. So it's fresh on their mind. When you get arrested, you don't always come back. The rest of the church that knew that Peter and John had been arrested and, and they're in jail and they don't know what their fate's going to be, these were the leaders of the church and there was tension and fear of, of what's going to happen when Peter and John are no longer with us. And so Peter and John, they spend the night in jail, and then they come before the authorities to give account, and Peter tries to better the situation by doing this in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? 
Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Peter is not making any friends in this Jewish temple right now. You crucified, but God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So, so when we look at Peter's situation, he just spent all night in jail. He had it fresh on his mind of, a, of his dear friend Jesus, his Messiah, that, that was arrested and put to death. And I'm sure that Peter and John were praying through the night. And it's amazing that at this first opportunity where our mindset and our prayer would have been, God, just safely deliver me out of this. It seemed like he wasn't looking for safety, but he was looking for opportunity. That he wasn't looking to make, just, you know, to walk that fine line, but he was looking for an opportunity to speak with boldness the message that God had given him. And, and for us, it, it, it's challenging because when God calls us to do something, our, our first inclination is, you know, we don't want to upset anyone's apple cart. We don't want to make things, you know, uncomfortable. <coughs> but there is a time to be bold. There's a time to speak something where you may not know how it's received. And I'm going to guess that, that if I were to ask you, what is God calling you to step forward in your life right now? That you would know, and probably the hesitation of why you haven't stepped forward in it is because you're afraid of what that might mean for a relationship, for a job, for a social situation, of what it might do to a family relationship. And, and there's fear that if I step forward in boldness in God's calling, it might upset things. I don't know what will happen in the next year if, if I follow God in this step. You know, for, for me, I, I understand following God's call, it, it can be challenging for your heart and just for kind of who you are as a person. You, you may not realize this about me unless you've been around here for a while because I've, I've shared this story on myself a couple of times, but growing up from kindergarten to sixth grade, I was in speech therapy the whole time because I couldn't say my R's, my L's, the CH sound or the THE sound. And, and so for me, public speaking was like off the table. Like I didn't even like speaking at all. And if you had tried telling me as a child that I would be doing something like this, I would have been like a quasi. Like that, that would never happen. <laughs> um, because that, that, that's just where I was. Like there was just, I would feel that tension anytime I had to speak. And I remember as a teenager, after I made a decision to follow Christ with my life, my youth pastor, he saw something in me and he was like, Paul, I want you to speak at part of one of the messages. And it's like the sweat starts to come out. But at the same time, there was something in my heart that said, like, you should do this. And it wasn't like in that moment I was agreeing, okay, I'm going to be a full-time pastor and plant a church. Like, it, it wasn't anything like that. Like, I had no clue what was down the road in the way that God would bless me, in the way that he would just provide, like, a, an occupation that brings me extreme joy and fulfillment of getting to see the gospel change people's lives. Like, it was none of that. It was just in this moment, will you do this one thing that I'm calling you towards? And it dramatically changed the, the direction of my life. And I see that now looking back. But all that really matters is in that one situation, will you be bold enough? Will you risk enough? Even though you may have fear connected to the thing God's calling you to do, even though you may not think you have the gifts to do what God's calling you to do, will you be bold enough to be obedient to what God has asked? Will you have the boldness? Will you have the trust that God will show up. Because this is what I've seen in my life. This is what I've seen in the stories of Scripture. And this is what I've seen in other people's lives as they grow in their faith. And this is the second point, that God loves responding in big ways to bold obedience. 
God loves responding in big ways to bold obedience. When we talk about big church, it's directly connected that the church has grown as people step out in bold ways to follow what God has asked. And some of the bold ways that God has probably asked you to step out, I know that when you step out, it's not going to be as public as speaking to a crowd. It's probably going to seem small, but I'm going to tell you, it's like a seed. When it's planted, it grows into something that becomes huge. Uh, Obedience, it it draws so many different areas uh, uh, of growth into your life when you're obedient in whatever it is that God has called, called you to do. Continue on in the passage at verse 13. After Peter just dropped bombs on them and said, you know, the, the, this Jesus whom you crucified, God raised from the dead, and he's the only name under heaven by which we must be saved. And then verse 13, these educated men, these members of the council, were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that, these, that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. I, I love this because they, their boldness in preaching was connected to the work of God. God had done a miracle. He had healed a man who had been lame. And, and so even though these men who, who were philosophers, who were trained in scriptures, who, who could argue and held positions of leadership to these fishermen who were uneducated but had been with Jesus, they couldn't do anything. They couldn't say anything. <coughs> and I know that so often... We want to talk about what God has done in our life. And we fear, I may not be able to answer everyone's questions, but I want to tell you, the biggest piece of evidence that you need is the work that God has done in your life. The biggest evidence that you need is that God's improving my marriage. That my relationship with my spouse has changed. Apologize, I have a cough. Uh, Andrew, if you're in voice shot, can you grab me a cup of water? I, I know I can always call Andrew, he's a rock star. Um, Yeah, that's right. Thank you, Andrew. The biggest testimony is the change that that only God brings. And and even if you don't have the words, even if you don't have the reason, even if you're not good at arguing, I'm going to tell you that when you step out and you live the way that God has asked you to live, there will be evidence that God uses to get the attention of people. And in this situation, it was a miracle. And so many of us are like, man, if God would just give me a miracle, then I would really believe, I would really be bold, I would really step out. But I want to tell you, the miracle always comes on the other side of being bold. And not only that, so much of us, we're afraid to ask for miracles because we think of like the weird churches out there that ask for miracles and expect miracles every Sunday. And so there's been like this stepping back of saying, like asking God to actually do something like that, that's off the limits. That's something that the strange churches do. But one of the interesting things as you look through scripture and you look at the accounts of miracles, the miracles generally happened outside of the church. They generally happened outside to people as a sign that God is at work here. That the miracles that, that happen most frequently are going to be people who, who have been outside praying and, and saying, God, this coworker, I've been telling them about you, and they've been sick. Would you please heal? Would you please be at work? The, the person that I just met in passing, God just had a word for, for, for them from me, and I spoke it, and it actually happened. Miracles generally are for outside of the church, and the other thing is, miracles don't change your, change your heart and and all of your beliefs forever, because in my life, I've seen God work some amazing miracles that I cannot explain. But it didn't change the struggles that were still there. And I've seen in so many other people, it's like God delivered the sign to them, and they knew for that day. Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate that. They knew for that day that that, that God was real, but man, their struggles, they still come back. Miracles will not solve your faith issues. But miracles are a sign. They are an intention getter. They are saying, look, 
God is active, but there will still be a decision for you to make as you go down, because one of the things that you'll find is, yes, that Peter healed the lame man at the gate of beautiful, but the fact is, he still eventually got sick and he passed away. I mean, you, you haven't met any people from the first century who were like, hey, Peter healed me and I just can't get sick, and I just can't die, because God did this miraculous thing once. Miracles are there, and then they're gone. And, and so I don't want you to get wrapped around this thought of like, I for me to really believe, for me to really trust, for me to really be bold, I need to see a miracle. But I also don't think that we should be afraid of praying for miracles because God still does them. And, and in fact, we, we have some of them. And, and over the last couple months, we've had a few different stories where, where people were, were just saying, I got the diagnosis from my doctor that it was cancer and, and that I was going to have a really rough road and the church was praying for me and the doctor can't explain it. I mean, just another one of the stories walked in this morning. A gentleman who w- was told that he had lung cancer and, and that it, it was going to be a rough time ahead. His doctors are flabbergasted right now. They, they, they've done the scans and the nodules are not cancer. It, and, and where they thought that there was going to be lung cancer, it is all clean. It is all gone. They thought it must be coming from somewhere else. And they can't find anywhere and they can't explain why it's cleared up. But the fact is that God still does miracles. And, and yeah, you can say amen here. That, that's, that's right. Don't be afraid to clap. Liz, you lead the way on them, girl. You got it. it. We should be praying with boldness. We should be asking God for big things because the fact is we are not exhausting his power in the way that we pray, asking for a good night's rest, asking for safe travel to work. And the fact is if the early church prayed the way that we prayed, I'm not sure that the gospel would have made it out of the first century. But the way that they prayed was significantly different. And so as Peter was before these guys and, and he had spent the night praying, he would preached with boldness, and, and then they said, you know, we can't really argue because the evidence is right here, but just don't preach in this name anymore and get out of here. Uh, and, and they threatened him and, and they let him go. And so he was going back to the church, and we're going to pick up in verse 24 where, where it says, when, when the church heard the report, when they heard the report, all the believers, they lifted their voice together in prayer to God. They were celebrating in prayer, and, and they were praising God. They were saying, O oh, sovereign Lord, creator of heaven, earth, and the sea, and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, y- your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. And that's talking, in verse 27 actually explains it. In fact, this happened here in the very city for Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And so they're praising God. And then it turns here in verse 29 to their prayer request. And look at the way that they prayed. Look at the way, after coming out of a night in jail, of being threatened, if you continue to speak in this name, it will be the end of your life. After they were threatened, in verse 29, it says, And now, O Lord, hear their threats, and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. As if Peter needed a little more boldness than what he already had. Boldness was the problem, Peter. Uh, You know, our prayer request coming out of a night of jail would have been like, you know, God, send me six black escalades filled with security guards and suits and earpieces to protect me at all time. It would have been, okay, Peter and John, you're the leaders of the church. We need to separate you guys to different cities because if you both died in the same incident, we wouldn't know what to do. It would have been protect, protect, protect. But their prayer coming out of this situation was, God, give us great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Their prayers were, let's go bigger. 
Let's get more dangerous. There's something about God that when you walk with him and you walk through a difficult experience, you learn that I don't need to protect myself more. I need to trust God more. That, that when I stepped out and this was frightening, it, it became fun because, man, I realized my heavenly father, he's big enough to conquer any of these things that are ahead of me. And, and once again, we have this, this almost bookend to, to the experience in the upper room where the believers are all together praying again, and they're praying for great boldness to preach the word of God. And all the believers were united in heart and mind, and, and they felt what, what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had and so first of all, I just pause there. Um, there's something about when we're obedient to God in one area that it just drags other areas of obedience into the equation. I mean, as Luke's writing here, he, he just says, and I got to tack on, there's this crazy amount of generosity that broke out amongst the church once they started praying bold. And, and this is true in so many areas of your life. You might think, what difference will it make if I honor God in this area? But once you honor God in one area, I'm telling you, it drags obedience in other ways. And rolling back to, to verse 31, it says, After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Once again, upper room experience. Man, God moves like we're so excited. The Spirit of God is here. This is great. But they were praying for boldness. The place shook, and then they preached the word with great boldness. In both of these times, in both of these areas, the reason that God moved in their heart, the reason the Spirit made himself known and said, I am here, you can do this, you have a calling, wasn't so that they would have spiritual entertainment, but so that they would spiritually engage in their city, in the places that God has called them. And so they were praying for big, bold things. They were praying, God, let's go out and preach. And the third point that I want us to take from today is we pray bold prayers because we have a big calling. The calling that was on this early church is the same calling that is on us. We have a responsibility to carry this truth about Jesus Christ to our city. And it is the easiest thing in the world to just turn our sight internal. And man, you know, I, I love that song, you leave the 99, let's just sing that song every week. Let's not worry about what's going on out in the city. Let's invest on, you know, more lights, more projection, more instruments, more staff, and just focus all of our stuff on making this experience great. And believe me, this experience isn't great by accident. We believe excellence honors God. But the fact is, the whole goal of this experience is that when we leave here, we feel encouraged and empowered to make a difference in our household, in our workplace, in our school, and in the city as we go places. That, that we respond to, to someone who is upset with grace when they don't deserve it because we know that God has responded to us with grace when we don't deserve it to change the way that we live, to change the way that we interact, because Christ gave us this mission and he modeled this mission. He said the Son of Man has come to seek after and save those who are far from God. So we live the same way. And so church, what are we praying about? Band, if you guys can make your way up, we're going to begin to close this thing down. What are we praying about? This challenged me in my own household because I, I pray for my kids almost every night. And I say almost every night because you can't lie from the pulpit. That's a bad thing to do. Um, there are nights where my son has, you know, thrown his Hot Wheel car into the toilet for the 491st time and asked me to get it out. And I don't like reaching in toilets and I'm losing my patience. And, and I just want to throw the kids in bed. But on the nights that I do, you know, fulfill the obligation that I should and I pray for my kids, I love speaking life into them. 
and I love praying for them. God, I thank you that you've placed gifts in this child. But as I studied this passage this week, man, it convicted my heart of what am I teaching my kids about how to pray when I'm just praying about what God's called them to be and do. And so just even this week, I began praying with my kids at night, saying, God, I thank you for their friends at school, and I thank you for the great people they've placed in your life. Will you help them to, f- to fall in love with you more and more? God, we pray for, for Ella's teacher. We, we pray for Mrs. Rulo at Diplomat Elementary School. We pray for the principal. We, we pray for the other teachers. God, would you just be at work in their life? Encourage them this week. Because I want to, to model the right thing for my kids of saying, when we pray, we, we acknowledge that God loves our neighbor just as much as he loves us. So when we pray, we include them in that because Jesus loves the person who is the furthest away from him in the city. The person with the struggles, the person addicted to a substance, the person from the broken family, the person whose family is breaking apart right now. He loves them. And we get to carry the love of Christ to them. And church, I want you to join me in praying bold prayers for our city. We're approaching our one-year anniversary, and I'm going to tell you, I believe, and I am doing everything I can to make sure that October is not an east, not overwhelming like Easter was. Easter was amazing, but I'll tell you, 1,200 people, that was, that was just a little much, a little much. But we are going to do some big stuff in October, and we're going to bless the children of our city, and we're going to have so many young families come and check out our church in October. It's going to be great. We're doing the groundwork to make that happen, but I need you to join me in doing the prayer work of seeing the Spirit of God move in those people's hearts and lives when they, when they come here in October. I need you to pray bold prayers with me, that, that this one service isn't going to be enough. And I'll let you in on a little secret. We've had a secret 9 a.m. service happening here every week since I think after the first month of launch. If you ever need to come to church because something's happening later in the day, you can come at 9 o'clock. We do this for our volunteers. Um, But soon, I believe we're going to have to open it up for just having two services so that we can fit the people we need. Because I know you don't like to sit up in the, only my man, Doug, he's my only dude who will sit in the the spit zone, all right? Um, But be praying for us. Be praying that God will send the young families, that the Spirit of God will be at work, and that we will see families and lives transformed. And I believe that he hasn't just called us to what we've seen, but to something that's greater and something that's dead. Uh, I want to wrap up my, my sermon um, by having you guys say a prayer for me. We don't do this too out loud here too much, um, and I know it might feel a little bit old church, but I have a closing prayer from the passage that we're going to put up on the screen. And as I start to read it, I would like, um, you know, if you're new here or if you're, you're not a Christian, you, you don't have to play. But if you've been here for a while and you're a follower of Christ and I know you and you know me, you have to play along. So you have to do it, all right? Um, but I'm going to read it and just read it with, with me. And this is that prayer. And I will acknowledge that it feels awkward to ask for signs and wonders. But it's biblical for us to ask. So let's pray this together. Give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that you as our Heavenly Father want us to pray bold prayers for ourselves, for our families, for our friends, for our neighbors, for our school teachers, our co-workers. Lord, we ask for huge blessings and we ask to see your Spirit at work in mighty ways. 
be at work in this place, and Lord, start with us. Put it on our heart to pray bold prayers before you. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you guys who call Gulfside Church your home church, we're going to receive the tithes and offerings. If you're new here, there is no obligation to give or anything like that, but this is something that we do to push the vision of our church forward in our city. If you are new here and you're interested in getting connected, there's a little tear-off on the bulletin you received. If you would fill that out and either drop it in the offering bucket or bring it to the connections table after the service, we, we would love that. It would enable us to follow up with you. And there's also a free gift for you at the Connect table. If you go here or if you're new here and you don't have a coffee cup, make sure you get a coffee cup or two. You have one to give away. It's our gift to you. I know that nothing happens in the morning until coffee happens. And so we want to be part even of that of your day. Uh, thank you for being here today. We're going to sing together as the ushers receive the offering.